This podcast is sponsored by Plume. Deployed in more than 20 million homes globally, Plume helps service providers increase ARPU and reduce OPEX by reforming the bundle around next-generation smart home Wi-Fi experiences that subscribers love. Learn more at Plume.com. Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I'm an editor here at Light Reading. I'm Kelsey Zeiser, and I'm also an editor at Light Reading. And I am Yusuf Khalidi, Corporate Vice President at Microsoft. Yusuf, thanks so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Phil and Kelsey, for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, you are somebody who goes way back. And in fact, let's let's maybe start out by talking a bit about your career at Microsoft. So when did you start at Microsoft and what were you doing when you first uh, got to the company? At Microsoft, I started in 2003. Mm-hmm. Before that, I used to be in Silicon Valley at some microsystems. Right. So always been building systems which are like network systems, distributed systems, although the term cloud was not in fashion yet, if you will. Sun Microsystems built a lot of things that kind of predated a lot of the technologies we take for granted now. Indeed, indeed. Many things, uh, typically at at a smaller scale, Mm -hmm. but nonetheless, the same concepts have always been there. That was the first place I had heard about a truly networked computer or a, uh, they used to call it a dumb terminal or something like that, Mm -hmm. but... Um, but where you could essentially do what cloud computing does today, but it was in a bit of, a bit more of a client server model, but it was it, it worked. It was great. Actually, that's a good point, Phil. It was more client server, if you will, and a smaller scale. And the big jump we did at Microsoft and the industry starting, say, 2006, 7, 8, was to simplify the model and go much, much bigger, which is what the cloud really is versus just a bunch of virtualization, if you will. And that's what I was going to ask you is like, what what led you to work on the Azure platform? Like, uh, did that come about as like a, a singular idea or was it just sort of Microsoft looking at how the technology had been progressing and following the lead of, you know, of the industry? Well, if you remember, uh, we always had these big high-scale systems, Hotmail, uh, MSN Search, predecessor to Bing, all these services, online services, if you will. And we used to run them, we still do internally, but at that time we used to run them as one-offs. You get a building, bunch of machines, bunch of humans, and you keep adding, adding people and complexity, if you will. So around 2006 or so, we decided internally to build a platform to host all these services at scale and using automation, simplicity, and not throw people at it, if you will. And somewhere in the early days, we then realized uh, this can be useful for everybody, not just for us. So when we launched what was called then uh, Windows Azure 2008, uh, we launched it as a platform for everybody, if you will. And of course, we turned the crank on it. But uh, the need was identified internally first. And it was very clear that uh, not only do we need it, but many others need it. And there, is a, there was also a secular trend for others wanting to virtualize, uh, if you will, host their stuff without worrying about all the plumbing, if you will. So we want to do a very high scalable plumbing, which is what the cloud is. So what part of um, Azure are you specifically focused on now? Is it Azure for operators? Is that your focus? It's been a journey for me personally. Uh, from okay. one of the founding members of the team, built basic foundational stuff, concentrated on the networking aspect. And now I'm concentrating on Azure for operators, yes. Which is basically uh, harnessing the power of the cloud to meet the, the core network needs of the operators. I'm I'm glad for your answer because this interview would have been incredibly awkward if you had just said oh, I'm still working on Hotmail and then that, that would have, <laughs> oh, well okay 
<laughs> nothing against Hotmail. I just no, no. You know, I was been really you know would have just run out of topics really fast. When when we're talking about Azure for operators, how does Azure for operators, like I guess as a stack or as a system, differ or more or less the same as what you started building when you first started building Azure? If, if you think about it, um, the, the cloud is basically very high scale systems that can run stuff. You can run VMs, containers, and so forth. On top of that, you have services, finished services, SaaS services, BaaS services, and so forth. The needs of the operators um, extend the, this platform, if you want, with some unique requirements. You need carrier-grade quality. You need a higher number of packet processing, also things like that. The observation we, we came to is, or the conclusion we came to is that many of those requirements uh, were needed for also enterprise applications, especially for the high-scale systems. Of anything from the from the Teams system to you name it, to Office Online, etc. There's a small delta of extra things you need in the platform to deal with operator workloads, and then there are all these services that have to be tuned and moved to the cloud. So think of it as leveraging all the investments we've done the last 12 years or so, but catering for and customizing it for the unique needs of the operators. So you make it sound like it's um, like telcos are just another customer that you have to kind of uh, account for their needs and customize the cloud to fit what they're doing. The telcos always talk like they're so terribly special that what they're doing can't be uh, can't be replicated, you know, in, in, in any way. I'm not trying to get you in trouble here, but I'm, just, no, no, I'm just commenting on the idea of is there something about tuning the cloud for telcos or or I guess, integrating cloud functions with the telco network that is a bit more complex or technically different than you would ever run into on the enterprise side? The answer is yes, of course, there are differences. Let me emphasize the similarities first. Remember, I'm a platform person. I look at things in such a way as can I build it one time so multiple people can use it. You don't want to do a custom thing for, for each one. So the, many of the similarities of high-speed networks, connectivity, computation, and the like are very similar. The principles you have for the cloud are very simple. If you are willing to follow them, which is go through simplicity, uniformity, don't do custom stuff and the like. But uh, operators have very unique requirements. The level of carrier-grade networking and availability is higher than most what other customers need. And on a technical level, things like packet processing, number of flows, and so forth are much higher that you, you, what you might need for a classical enterprise application. I just want to note that it, it's a, a bit fuzzy when you talk about very high scalable systems, whether you call them enterprise or social media, whatever, and some of the telco applications, they become somewhat similar. Yeah, that's a great point because the more you get into social media and things like that or video conferencing services that are connecting millions of users simultaneously, I don't see from the outside looking in, I don't see how that really looks any different than a telco network would look with a bunch of phones connecting to a centralized core or what have you. There are some unique aspects of the telco networks nonetheless. So I, I mentioned a lot of the similarities. The differences, of course, include the radio area network, the high level of distribution you, you, you have at the edge. Whenever I mention the cloud, by the way, for us, it's a whole continuum between the public remote data centers, all the way to the edge of the network, because the computation now has to flow from all the way from the public cloud all the way to the edge as well. 
from an, an economic standpoint, um, what are some of the biggest uh, benefits for telcos to partner with um, Microsoft on this? Is it cost savings, um, the ability of having somebody else to go to when they run into an issue, just having uh, you know access to your engineers? What are what are some of the economic benefits for them? There are three broadly speaking uh, advantages, if you will. One is the one you mentioned, cost savings, uh, because we will be able to uh, simplify matters. It's, it's not really magic, to be honest, guys. You, you can simplify matters and utilize more of the, of the infrastructure of the cloud and cut costs. Uh, that's important, but it's not the only reason. The other big reason, uh, I believe there will be new monetization opportunities, especially of, of in, in the intersection of communication and the enterprise. Talking private networking, local networks, connected to the big macro networks, enterprise applications such as Industry 4.0, discrete manufacturing, and so forth. So there are new monetization opportunities that the telcos can now tap into. And 5G, by the way, is key to that. And the third dimension, frankly, is future-proof their infrastructure. Traditionally, telcos had to buy lots of specialized hardware, depreciate them, throw people at it, and repeat. And with the cloud model, you can really future-proof more of the, your infrastructure that way and, and spend time concentrating on your value add as opposed to the plumbing. Yeah, that's a great point. That's definitely a difference in the way that the telco operators operate are previously and the way that the cloud providers had operated is that they would telco operators were in this kind of capex and then depreciation cycle you know, with their equipment. Different kinds of equipment, but I mean, you know, of that course. kind of cycle, whereas over at Microsoft and Google and Amazon, it was more about scaling up and offering service and just continuing to add to the service. And, you know, the service just continues to get more valuable, the more people it reaches. There's no like announcement about, oh, we now have a different kind of blade server running this application in this data center. It just, <laughs> it just all scales. <laughs> Uh, Phil, that's actually a good point. You know, even in enterprise space 10 years ago, we had customers say, can I come to your DC data center and see where my server is? Yeah. <laughs> in, in retrospect, it's, it's, it sounds funny, you know. Did you entertain them and just like point them to a computer and just see if they, you know, just so they could t- take a <laughs> no, picture no, with no, it? No. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, the, the, uh, there was good reason underneath the question, though. They wanted a uh, question, they wanted uh, service level assurance, compliance, security questions to be answered, et cetera. So we, we, we quickly got into the, the meat of the issue, if you will. Not the fact, oh, he's my physical server, but more of you know, how do I do avail- high availability service over your infrastructure? What compliance regime do you adhere to and so forth? So similar discussions we're having now with the operators as well. You mentioned, you know, them having some security concerns and was curious with increased reliance that, um, you know, service providers and enterprises both have on edge computing. Does that uh, bring forth some new security concerns? Oh, definitely. Edge computing is a new area, to be honest. And as I mentioned earlier, it's needed for a telco workloads. You have to run the user plane sometimes closer to the user and so forth. Many edge devices, be they on the customer premises or even the operator network, you end up with the need to have security done at a higher level than assuming it's going to be physical security or assuming it's going to be in a closet somewhere. So you need to think of more of zero trust models where you are effectively on the internet and your, your protocols have to be secure and you have to assume you're going to be attacked, etc. So th- and that's a shift, by the way. If you look at many operators today, they assume their machines are secure behind a cage, close the door, you're done. And more and more, guilty as you mentioned for the edge, 
you can't assume it's going to be inside the cage on a customer premises. Instead, it has to be secure protocols, uh, assume a hostile environment, and you go from there. Um, I just wanted to revisit one point about monetization opportunities for telcos in the cloud. When you're talking to operators now, what opportunities are they looking for? I mean, you mentioned one of them with private networking. That's 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 one that, you know, obviously we're tracking as well, where they can partner with a cloud provider. They could actually access capabilities they probably w- wouldn't be able to get otherwise and really make private networking deployment profitable for them. Are there some other sort of major use cases that operators uh, are using the Azure platform for or or targeting, you know, that Azure is specifically targeting when it's pitching to them? I'm not really sure how, how these things sort of take shape. <laughs> Definitely. So let's start with the basics. Um, an enterprise customer may be, a, uh, say, a manufacturing plant, or it could be a shipping port. They need to have highly secure, reliable communication among their entities, their machines, their trucks, etc., for which um, 5G, 4G, LTE is really best suited to for. And they need spectrum for that as well. And they need to connect them to the macro network because their trucks may leave the port and have to go across the country to another port and so forth. With that in mind, you can see how all the building blocks come together. The operator brings in the network, be it the macro global network, all the roaming infrastructure, all the spectrum, all the communication and so forth. And the cloud brings in beyond the platform and the edge compute capabilities, also all the services in the public cloud from machine learning, AI, storage, communication, and so forth. So there's a complementary nature when it comes to the building blocks. When it comes to go-to-market and the like, uh, we in Microsoft, we understand the enterprise market. Customers are there, are our customers too as well, be it manufacturing or, or oil and gas and so forth. So we can have opportunities to go to market together and put solutions together to meet the specific verticals. So we have the infrastructure, the respective uh, strengths of the two sides, and then the many, many verticals out there. When I say verticals, I mean you have to bring in the ISVs and the partners because the oil and gas segment is quite different than shipping ports when it comes to their ecosystem and so forth. So we, you know, we can bring in the developers and the ecosystem. We can bring in the infrastructure and the operators can bring all the communication, all the spectrum or, and all the end-to-end aspects of communication. Is 5G what's sort of unlocking this or is it is it kind of the cloud 5G combo? I mean, what where, where is, I guess, the, the economic incentive for carriers to take that first step because they kind of have to invest, even in a localized way, they have to invest in that infrastructure somehow? There's actually a confluence of uh, or events or of technologies, if you will, but 5G is definitely one of them. With 5G, you can do things like uh, network slicing, so you can have different level of quality of service. You can really segment your traffic from the truck versus the, the high precision machine and so forth. The cloud is available now. Connectivity is ubiquitous. So that's another reason why things are happening. And lastly, and very importantly, end customers, those enterprise customers, are very much going through a digitization phase, if you will. They're really turning much of their brick and mortar or physical processes and the like into digital processes. So there's a confluence of the customers want it, the technology is available, and the cloud is available. So from your perspective, what would you say uh, for network operators, uh, is, is there an advantage in them using the public cloud versus a hybrid cloud approach? Actually, uh, we believe it's going to be a journey, and we believe it's going to be a hybrid cloud for, for a long time. So we are not of the opinion that they need to abandon what they have and just go and use a public law. This doesn't make sense I mean, for a number of reasons, economical reasons, but also uh, physics. Sometimes you have to run stuff on premises 
uh, because of physics, the ease of pain, and so forth. And there's also um, geopolitical political considerations. You need to be in a certain country, a certain location, and so forth. So we believe it's going to be a hybrid model for the foreseeable future. Having said that, using the, uh, the right technology that can span the spectrum, to span the whole space from the, the public cloud all the way to the edge in terms of manageability, management, orchestration, monitoring, logging, and the like. You want to have a, as a uniform model as possible to combine the on-premises technologies with the public cloud. And I just want to note, this is exactly the playbook we have used with the enterprises for the last dozen years or so. It's a hybrid model in nature. You move software to a public cloud that should move there. Things that have to stay should stay there. And then you invest quite a bit in manageability across the whole spectrum. I guess the last question I have for you, because we're running up against it on timing, about the acquisitions of like affirmed networks, uh, MetaSwitch, there's probably one or two others I'm forgetting there, the things that kind of brought what I would call cloud native telecom applications or net, telecom networking applications specifically to the Microsoft Azure platform. When we first saw that, the initial instinct was, oh, Microsoft's going to replace network operators at some customers. It's just going to do everything there. Please uh, uh, tell us how wrong we were or what the what the real strategic sort of value of those assets are in the in the Azure platform and how it's being put to use. I want to emphasize that Microsoft and Azure is a platform. We don't compete with our customers. We give them we give them plumbing appropriate for their use and we go to market with them. So this is a very important point. So no, we are not going to be an operator. If you want to be an operator, we would buy Spectrum. But let me tell you why we bought these two companies. Um, as you know, they are on the leading edge of virtualization for core network workloads. We brought them in to bring in DNA into our company of people who have been working in core network for a long time. We discussed earlier in, in this discussion of the differences between the enterprise and carrier grade networks and the like. We are very conscious there are differences, not only market differences, if you will, but technical differences. And the reason for the acquisitions is to bring this first party DNA into our platform so it can be better for everybody, including competing products. So as you probably know, in the enterprise space, we have our own first party software and we partner heavily with others. For example, we, we have our own SQL databases and we partner heavily with SAP, for example. So we'll do the same thing here. So uh, the first, the acquisitions will bring first-party DNA, make the platform better for everybody, including our competition and third-party applications from ISVs and NAPs for that matter. All right. I think that's a great place to uh, to wrap it up. Uh, Youssef Khalidi, thank you so much for, uh, first of all, it's a pleasure to meet you. And thank you so much for uh, being on the Light Reading Podcast. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Kelsey. This podcast is sponsored by Plume. Deployed in more than 20 million homes globally, Plume helps service providers increase ARPU and reduce OPEX by reforming the bundle around next-generation smart home Wi-Fi experiences that subscribers love. Learn more at plume.com.